available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website. This is Outlook, the talking newspaper for Coventry. Hello and welcome to this special Christmas edition of Outlook. I'm Nigel Hewen and we are recording on Wednesday the 13th of December, the last programme before Christmas. Uh, and in this programme this week, we've got quite Christmas themes going through. But firstly, we're going to hear about Sydney Opera House and how that got developed. Uh, there are three bits of poetry. One is Christmas Bells by uh, John Julius Norris. There's another one by John Betchman. There's one by Longfellow. And also, I believe she's a poet, but I'm not sure, Gillian Clark, about uh, the uh, Advent concert at the Landau Cathedral. But together with all those things, there's comfort food from Elaine and the dangers of comfort food. Uh, there's also about the holly trees, how nice they are at Christmas. And Dave goes to Santa's Grotto at uh, Kersley Church. But before all that, of course, we're going to have uh, the, uh, out, out, the outlook. I say. We're going to have the news from the centre here. We're going to have your post bag, very full Christmas post bag from Dave. A rundown on sports, who are the personalities of the year. But first, as always, we're going to have the local news with myself and Elaine. Outlook News. DWP officials will soon be combing through claimants' bank accounts under new rules. And guess what? You may actually benefit from it. From 2024, new powers will allow Department for Works and Pension uh, staff to make checks on accounts. They are on the hunt for a number of things, some that could catch people out and some that could help. Firstly, fraud. Officers are vowing to step up efforts to clamp down on benefit fraud. The new powers will see them access details to make sure claims are correct. The DWP will be measuring pension credit, universal credit and housing benefit. They will also be checking disability living allowance, state pension and personal independence payment. To catch fraudsters, they'll be looking at several things. These include the conditions not being met for receipt of benefit or the rate of benefit in payment. There are many examples of fraudulent benefit claims. No doubt many of us will be familiar with some of them. They can include faking an illness to claim benefits. They could also include failing to report income from employment or a business. Another example would be where a claimant is living with someone who contributes to the income of the household, but this money is not declared to the authorities. Yet another would be falsifying accounts to make it seem that the claimant has less money. But the DWP insists it's not just about cracking down on fraud. They emphasise that they will also be looking at mistakes where people could be entitled to more money. That's right, official error. They admit that they don't always get it right. They say sometimes benefits are paid incorrectly due to mistaken assessment, a failure to act or a delay, but also they will be searching for errors made by people submitting their claims. This could be where inaccurate or incomplete information has been provided, or it could be a failure to report a change in circumstances where there is no evidence of fraudulent intent. The organisation running Coventry's historic old grammar school building has confirmed that it is now structurally safe in the short term. 
The building had been blighted by issues with its roof for months. In June, Culture Coventry, which operates the old grammar school and Coventry Transport Museum, said the old school had temporarily closed due to unforeseen issues with the roof. While parts of the building have since reopened, Coventry Society member Paul Maddox expressed concern that the main hall was still closed. CV Life's Director of Operations Steve Wiles said, In the short term the roof was now safe, and the main hall within the old grammar school could be used again. He added, An initial survey had been completed on the roof, with all external loose tyres removed, and a schedule of quarterly roof inspections now in place. A further intrusive survey has been commissioned with a structural engineer, and the inspection and testing of the exposed timber roof structure by a timber specialist, said Mr Wiles. The findings of this survey work will outline the medium and long-term actions required for the ongoing maintenance for refurbishment of the roof. In April 2013, Coventry Transport Museum received a £4.6 million grant from the Heritage Lottery Fund, with some of that cash going towards redeveloping the Grade 1 listed Old Grammar School building. The 12th century building, which stood unused for more than 30 years before the redevelopment, reopened to the public in 2015. It is now an exhibition event and education space for the museum. Patients experiencing mental health concerns will receive enhanced care in the West Midlands thanks to a new fleet of response vehicles. West Midlands Ambulance Service announced the launch of five new mental health response vehicles which will provide enhanced assessment and care to mental health patients of all ages. The vehicles are being located in Coventry, Hollymore, Shrewsbury, Stoke-on-Trent and Worcester to provide first-line response to patients who are requiring an ambulance due to a mental health concern. Specialist mental health paramedics who have received additional training in mental health practice will lead the service. Student paramedics and technicians will have the opportunity to enhance their understanding and knowledge of managing mental health concerns by assisting the service. Mental health nurses working within the clinical validation team in the emergency operations centre will also be available to support crews for further advice at the scene. Local musician Dave Colkin, who was 88, of the Matadors, has recently passed away. The band were actually from Hinkley, but due to their constant Coventry gigs, they were always classed as a Coventry band even winning the title of the best Coventry band. In an interview a few years ago, Dave said, The Beatles came and changed everything. The line-up was that of the Beatles, bass, me, Dave, lead, Neil Tyson, and rhythm, Dave Findlay, guitars, and drummer, Harry Heppingstall. We also shared the vocals like the Beatles and would often indulge in three-part harmony again like the Fab Four. We even got called the Midlands Beatles, though in our defence we were playing the same songs as them. We went to see the Beatles when they played at the Co-op Hall in Nuneaton in October 1962, and we all turned to each other and declared that they were doing our act. The Matadors were not your average beat band. 
Dave and the boys were a very professional unit that knew how to work an audience. They had a great stage presence and an exciting set list. Their one and only single came out in 1966, which was A Man's Got to Stand Tall and Fast Cars and Money on the Reverse. It was produced by the legendary Joe Meek. Joe Meek was a loose cannon, a changeling producer who had an original approach to sound recording. He had produced the first US number one by a British pop group, namely Telstar by the Tornadoes. After internal wrangling with Joe Meek, the single was finally released by Columbia and sold tremendously well locally, selling out in Jill Hansen's in Coventry in a matter of hours. Sadly, it never charted nationwide. However, it would set you back £100 to buy it now. The lads continued what they did best, working as a jobbing band seven nights a week, supporting the lights of Matt Munro. They eventually split up. Sadly, Neil Tyson passed away. Dave Colking carried on performing, doing a wicked Elvis impersonation in places as diverse as Thailand and Tenerife. Kind-hearted Coventry youngsters will help ensure 50 of the city's elderly aren't lonely this Christmas by providing them with a dinner and much-needed festive fun. A group of 50-year-12 50 50 students at Cardinal Wiseman Catholic School are hosting a turkey dinner and games day for elderly people from four Coventry care homes on Wednesday the 20th of December, that's next week. The students, aged 16 and 17, have planned and fundraised for the Christmas treat in their spare time, hosting bake sales in school and raising more than £300 in donations. The project is being delivered alongside the St Vincent de Paul Society, which supports voluntary action across England and Wales to offer friendship and support to isolated people. Year 12 student Tom Stevens, who is also part of the St Vincent de Paul Society, is leading the project. He said the SVP is an amazing charity which I am proud to be part of, and this event is a great way to promote its message of helping less fortunate people through action. We hope it will make a huge difference to our guests to spend some time with them during a potentially lonely time of the year, and the goal is to make a positive change in their lives. Tom Scott Machin, lay chaplain at uh, Cardinal Wiseman Catholic School, added, I think this project has been so popular with our young people because they'll get to see the result of their hard work. It's bound to be a really special day, and it's all down to the way that they have brought, into the, brought the idea of supporting mm-hmm. people who may be experiencing loneliness over Christmas. When it comes to a battle of what Coventry people want as their Christmas attraction, there's no real contest. When asked if you would rather have an ice rink or a big wheel, the ice rink won hands down. The big wheel is a new addition to the city centre this year and is open every day except Christmas Day until January, so people can take a ride and experience a bird's eye view of the city. The ice rink that has been in the city centre for the past few years isn't returning, the council have confirmed, because the big wheel is cheaper. It isn't costing the council anything and is actually generating income due to a profit-sharing arrangement. The council also said it's more accessible, but that hasn't stopped people from being disappointed. 
When asked what you would rather have as the Christmas attraction in the city centre, an overwhelming 90% said they would rather have an ice rink. Just one in ten of you voted for a big wheel. People also took to social media to have their say. Amanda Clare said, The big wheel was a big mistake in my opinion. I went past it three different times and there were only a maximum of three pods filled each time. No good if you are scared of heights and I think it's a bit expensive especially for a whole family. Not the sort of thing you could let small children do on their own either. Last year the ice rink was packed all the time. Much more of a Christmassy thing to do as well. Just my opinion. Mark Morris suggested we could have both a big wheel and a rink, light the passage through to the cathedral area and sell a ticket for both options, make the market larger, have a stage for street performances of live and festive acts. Local estate agents love it is celebrating 180 years in business, having been founded in 1843. It's overseen some of Coventry's largest and most important property deals over the last two centuries. They've been going longer than many countries and every single football club in the world. To mark the end of the milestone year, staff hosted a carol service called Carols at Christmas outside their offices on Warwick Row and invited the community to join in and enjoy mulled wine, mince pies and a raffle. Alongside their work in property, the team have also been supporting charities and have raised £9,400 for the Cyrenians charity, which aims to provide supported housing for homeless people across the city. At the service, staff were joined by the group Choir With No Name, which builds joyful singing communities with homeless and marginalised people. The night raised a further £167 for the Cyrenians. Sarah Herbert, Associate and Auction Manager at Lovett, said, The Carol Service was a truly wonderful occasion, especially to witness the joy on the faces of all those members of the choir with no name, and all of us too, as we all, all sang our hearts out to raise yet more money for Coventry Cyrenians, Lovett's chosen charity this year. I'm sure everyone knows that the Cyrenians do such fantastic work in helping people in Coventry and Warwickshire who are homeless or at risk of becoming so, and it was made even more poignant by the fact that many of the members of the Choir With No Name have had experience of homelessness, and yet are still wanting to give something back to the community. What do many of Coventry's most sacred and significant historical landmarks have in common? It's the depiction of an elephant. An elephant was first granted on the coat of arms in 1345 by King Edward III, Local historian turned author Scott Duffin explains. It was granted as a symbol of strength, power and resilience. It was so strong it could carry Coventry's castle on its back and some of our men into battle. Over the past 800 years it has worked its way into every part of Coventry. Churches, businesses, schools. The football club use it on their crest. It is everywhere. We've got around 300 elephants in Coventry in total. Each and every one is documented in Elephants of Coventry, a new book the 38-year-old has released in tandem with author Adam Wood. The book provides a visual history of the city and features a foreword by Paul Maddox, Vice-Chairman of the Coventry Society. 
Needless to say, it has been incredibly well received by Coventrians and the UK's wider history-loving public. Limited edition hardback copies have been snapped up, with many more paperback versions now being ordered online. The response has been pretty amazing, Whitley-based Scott says. We've had a lot of pre-orders. Everyone I've contacted to give input into the book has helped. I've made it a real community project and tried to get in as many local people and organisations as possible. Seeds for the book were sown when Scott, an antiques collector by trade, saw pictures of elephants on various Coventry landmarks and buildings on the Visit Historic Coventry Facebook group, which he now administrates. No one seemed to have a definite answer to how many there were and where they all were, Scott said. So I started a mission to find them myself about two years ago. I've ended up travelling down every street in Coventry to find them. The oldest elephant is understood to be on Bonds Hospital in Hill Street. In 1505, money was given to build that one day, one, that one by Thomas Bonds, not long after the archway was put up. I believe that's the oldest representation we have of an elephant in the city. There's new talking fridge magnets available from the RNIB for use with RNIB's pen friend. With these magnet labels, your fridge door can hold a lot of information in a very small space instead of cluttering it up with written notes, lists and reminders. The pack of ten colourful round magnets is supplied with ten coloured round pen friend labels which will stick to the magnets so you can record and re-record messages and reminders to uh, keep at hand. Match the labels and magnets by colour or mix them up for more contrast. The labels work just like other pen friend labels, but you can use the magnetic base to pin letters, drawings or bills to the fridge, or in fact any similar surfaces, for example washing machines, dishwasher doors or magnet friendly notice boards. They're wiped clean with a damp cloth, but they're not suitable for using and putting in the dishwasher. For more details about this product, check the product information instructions manual in RNIB's user guide tab to help you decide if this product is suitable for you. The magnet size are 20mm in diameter and 6mm deep. They are eligible for VAT exemption at a price of £18.50. RNIB also have a range of games including tactile backgammon, tactile ludo and large print scrubble. It was the ultimate of birthday presents for a 110-year-old Cubbington resident when he got to meet the Prime Minister. On John Farrington's 110th birthday, his local MP, Sir Jeremy Wright, visited him at Cubbington Mill Care Home. John told Sir Jeremy that he would love to have the opportunity to visit Parliament, but felt it would be impossible now. Behind the scenes, the Kenilworth and Southam MP set to work making arrangements for John to go to Parliament and watch Prime Minister's questions. And he not only arranged for John to meet the Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, prior to PM's questions, but also arranged for John to go to Number 10 to meet the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. Cubbington Mills General Manager Laura Russell and Admin Assistant Laura Reynoldson accompanied John on his outing to the capital. 
They arrived at Parliament via a private entrance, surrounded by six armed police guards, and were taken to meet Mr Speaker. Then it was time for PM's questions, where Sir Jeremy and the Prime Minister both gave John and Covington Mill a shout-out. John had lunch in the House of Commons before heading off to Downing Street. At number 10, John was given a tour and then showed the Cabinet Office where he met the Prime Minister. John said, I am absolutely speechless. I cannot believe that I not only got to go to Parliament, which has always been an ambition, but I got to go to Prime Minister's questions and I got a mention. I am amazed. Then getting to go to number 10 and meeting the PM is beyond my wildest dreams. It has honestly been one of the best days of my life. I am so, so grateful to everyone who made it happen. I feel so blessed. Outlook News So, that concludes the round-up of this week's news. Not very much, of course, as you will probably have gathered from Elaine and myself. Now, um, normally, of course, we now have the very boring bit of sunrise and sunset, but I decided to eliminate it this week because next week is winter solstice, and after that, days get longer at long last. So, yes, hooray, hooray, hooray. So, that's it for now. For, but we're now going to welcome you into the studio, who's going to round you up on what's going on here, going on here at the uh, centre. Thank you very much, Nigel. Uh, look, I, I haven't got vast amounts to tell you this week in the sort of run-up to Christmas. Um, the big thing, of course, is uh, is Rosie's funeral. Um, happens uh, tomorrow's recording, so that's on Thursday, the 14th of December. Uh, so if you're listening to this on the podcast and you're listening on Thursday morning, uh, then uh, just to remind you that the church service starts at 11.30 at St. John Fisher uh, Roman Catholic Church uh, in Wycombe. That's on uh, uh, Tiverton Road uh, and uh, it'll be about an hour or so uh, and then uh, everybody will decant over to the um, Jaguar Social Club at Allsley uh, we've arranged all the buses now but there are still some spaces if you find yourself at the church service and you're wanting to go over to Allsley and you haven't uh, arranged a lift or anything like that then uh, we may well have a bit of space for you uh, and we'll, we'll sort out about getting people home as well if we can otherwise you might be on your own and having to get a taxi so there we are um, I was speaking to the family yesterday we have um, we have uh, quite a lot of participation um, from the resource centre of course so on the uh, during the church service itself the music group will be will be um, uh, singing and um, I'm sure it will be very emotional and then when we um, get to the wake in the afternoon uh, there'll be uh, more contributions I'll be talking a little bit uh, we'll have uh, some poetry from the creative writing group uh, some more music from the music group and also um, the craft group um, and a particular shout out to Joe Proctor here I know she doesn't like the, the praise and everything but, uh, but she's going to get it this time um, she's coordinated some uh, the, the making of some uh, beautiful little mementos um, uh, that the, the family 
was hoping uh, we might be able to produce. And they're, they're, they're roses, uh, little clay roses that have been sparkled up a little bit. So they're Rosie's roses. Um, and uh, you can take one and put one on your tree as a little, a little sort of reminder memory every year of, uh, of our beloved Rosie. What a nice thought. It is a lovely thought. Now, um, it's that time of year when everybody's getting a bit... <laughs> Getting a bit sick every now and again. There's a there's a stinking yes. cold, cold going around at the moment. And my wife's had it. My daughter's had it. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's getting yeah. it. Um, you know, we and we appreciate. You know, if you if you're not feeling up to it, and if you get this cold, you really won't be feeling up to it. That you you may not want to come in to the centre. That's absolutely fine, of course. Uh, if you are a regular bus user, please do make sure to let us know uh, that you're not coming in, uh, so that we don't send the bus out. So all you need to do is call the centre: o two four seven six seven one seven five two two. Hit button number one, and that'll take you through to uh, uh, Claire's phone. And in the morning, she's usually there to answer it uh, but otherwise you can uh, leave a message on the phone it takes a long time for the message to kick in uh, the message yes, to kick in. That, yes. yes about 30 <laughs> seconds actually right. I might can try and get that shortened <laughs> a bit but um it hasn't gone away it's just it's, it's thinking just, about it's it just yeah. thinking about it for yes. a very long time so um so uh, bear with bear with uh, and eventually uh, the answer phone will kick in and please uh, please please do leave a message for claire or carl indeed now um Next week on Wednesday, the twentieth, I'm not in. Another funeral to go to, but that's it's it's away. It's down in Reading, so it's a personal thing. So I'm not in next Wednesday. Hopefully, Joe will be in. She's got the cold at the moment as well. So, um, but hopefully, she'll be back by next week. Um, just a reminder that the centre will be close, uh, closing on the 22nd of December, that's uh, a week on Friday, um, for the Christmas break, and then it will reopen on the uh, 2nd of January, which is Tuesday, uh, so Devices Workshop and IT and Music Group will be running that day. Um, now, uh, just... You've, if you were, you may not have, you may have skipped over the news a bit, <laughs> which you should some do. do, and some skip over the sport as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, um, if you did skip, so if you did skip over the news, then skip back and listen to the, a bit about the tactile talking fridge magnets, uh, because uh, that's quite an interesting product and definitely, uh, definitely worth having around if uh, if you like to leave yourself little notes somewhere and you can't, you know, you struggle to to read what you've written or you struggle to write things actually. Um, other products that we've got available, particularly apposite for the time of year, of course, are the diaries, the large print diaries um, for 2024. We have uh, the midi ones, which are A5 size at £8.50, and the large A4 size ones are £10.50. But we've also got some A3 size calendars as well, so they're, they're a month to view, um, and they come in at uh, just £2.50. Um, and lastly, because I told you I didn't have very much, um, <laughs> lastly, the uh, Christmas hamper raffle that we uh, started at the uh, at the Winter Warmer a yes. few weeks ago. Uh, that uh, was won by our very own Tony Fossey, who's one of our trustees. Excellent. So congratulations to Tony. Yes. Um, he's delighted. Well, he says, actually, uh, not so much that he's delighted, but his wife certainly will be delighted about <laughs> it. Uh, so uh, thank you, everybody, um, who took part. Um, that raised a number of hundred pounds. I don't know uh, how much off the top of my head, but I know it did raise a, a significant... Good. Which so thank you very much. 
That's it, is it? That is it, yes. No, no more from me. Well, uh, oh, we're not, are we not recording we're next not week? Recording. This, is our last, this is our last issue until the 3rd of January, yes. We're having a two-week break. Okay, well, in that case, everybody, uh, I wish you the happiest and happiest of Christmases and, uh, and New Year, and yes. uh, we will be back in the New Year then. We will, all together, and hopefully all healthy, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> fingers crossed. If with uh, colds out the way, yeah. Good, thanks to you. Uh, I don't think... Last week, you'll remember, Sarah mentioned the Sports Personality of the Year. Well, now she's here to tell us about the shortlist. Outlook Sport. Well, welcome to the last sport before Christmas. Well, not the last sport actually going on, but my last sport. Right. I will start off with, as I told you last week, England women football were playing their last match of the Nations Cup. Now, England had to win and win by three more goals than Netherlands. England were playing Scotland, not Belgium, as I told you last week, and the Netherlands were playing Belgium. Well, England did their bit and won 6 0. Mm hmm. But unfortunately, the Netherlands won 4 0. So there was only a two goal differential, which wasn't enough. So sadly, there will be no Great Britain women's football team at the 2024 Olympics. Oh, well, there'll be lots of other sport to watch. Now, on Friday, Coventry City played Birmingham City and the match was on Sky. Well, there were no Premier matches. Now, it had all the makings of the traditional banana skin. But it wasn't. And Coventry came out 2-0 winners and even better both goals were scored by Callum O'Hare, who has just returned to playing after nearly a 12-month injury layoff with a bad cruciate ligament tear. Well done, Callum. You're the pride of Coventry, although most of his family are Blues supporters, the Blues being Birmingham. Now, while I'm talking about the City, their third round match in the FA Cup will be played on Saturday, January the 6th against Oxford. And it's going to be a lunchtime kickoff because they think it will, well, it will be covered on TV and they think it will have international appeal. Hmm, well I can only think, they must think that Oxford has a lot of overseas graduates. Now while we're talking about the FA Cup third round, sadly both our women's team exited. Rugby Borough women were beaten narrowly two goals to three by Sheffield United who are in a higher league than rugby, so it was no disgrace. But sorry, Joe, because I know you support them, but Cowden Court ladies really were 
thumped by Burnley. 11-0. But again, Burnley are loads of places and leagues higher than them. So well done both teams for getting that far. You've done our locality proud. Now, on Saturday, because Coventry City have played on Friday, Nanit and Borough, who are groundless at the moment, played their FA Trophy third round match at the CBS Arena. Nanit scored first, but then Files scored two goals. But Nuneaton equalised three minutes before the end and it went to the dreaded penalties. 5-5, five, five. but then Nuneaton's player missed his and Files scored. So Files progressed to the fourth round of the trophy and Nuneaton exit. But what an experience to play at the CBS. Now going back to the normal football, in the Southern Premier League, there were draws for both Leamington and Stratford. Stratford were away at Sudbury and Leamington were at home to Barwell. But a bit of respect there, you know, not doing too badly. And Leamington are really ramping up the league. Now, after their heavy defeat last week for Coventry Rugby Club, well, they didn't win this week. They didn't draw, but they didn't lose either because they weren't playing. Well, it's finally been announced the shortlist for BBC Sports Personality of the Year I'm talking about. And on it, we have, in alphabetical order, cricketer Stuart Broad, who you may remember has retired after a long career and with his final ball of the Ashes series, he took a wicket, which was rather icing on the cake with the cherry on top. Jockey Frankie Dottori, who I always thought was Italian, but he must now have dual citizenship, probably post-Brexit. Footballer Mary Ertz. Well, I've been pronouncing her surname Ertz, but it's actually spelt E-A-R-P-S. Erps. Doubles and singles tennis player Alfie Hewitt. Good choice there. Athlete Katerina Johnson-Thompson. Yes! The one I would love to win, but she won't. And Rory McIlroy, the golfer. So who is your choice? I think a lot depends, to be truthful on what your sporting interests are. You know, I mean, it's no secret that I love athletics and probably that's why I would like to see Cat win. But I'm sure if you're a golfer, you'd like to see Rory win. But hey-ho, it's going to be a great night on December the 19th, BBC One. 
7 till 9. Now, they've changed the system slightly this year and it's also a voting system for the World Sports Personality of the Year. Now, I'm afraid I can only give you four of the six here because I voted and then the list disappeared. Anyway, the four I can remember and the two descriptors of the others are Simone Biles, the gymnast, guess who I voted for? Novak Djokovic, I mean, who can't fault Novak this year with his fantastic Grand Slam records? You know, he's just an incredible guy, but is he a personality? Well, that seems to go by the board a bit now. But the winner is going to be Erling Haaland. Because he's based in England, he actually only lives about 10 miles away from where the filming's taking place in Salford. And he's everyone's hero. Max Verstappen, the motor racing driver, and he has had a superb season, but again, a personality. And how much is Max and how much is the car? Hmm. Now, the other two are a Spanish female footballer who was named the player of the tournament in the World Cup and a male South African rugby player. So, I would like to see Katerina Johnson-Thompson get the overall and Simone get the international. I suspect it will be... I can't really say on the home sports personality because they are all great sports people and they have all got a personality which is pretty important because it's in the title of the programme but I do think it will be Erling Haaland the Man City striker who will get the international one and finally another question to you all Gosh, I am using your brain today, aren't I? Who's going to win Strictly? <laughs> right, all that and much more will be revealed when I next see you after the silly season. So as I'm saying to all my friends, happy Boxing Day because it will all be over then. Yay! Seriously, folks, have a great time. Bye. So what's your choice of sports personality on Sarah's shortlist? But now, knowing the list, who's your favourite to be crowned? So now let's hear all your special seasonal messages in Dave's festive postbag. This is Postbag. Join in the discussion. Hello and welcome to your Christmas postbag. I'm a bit sad because it's very light. We'll see how it goes. Here's Graham Monks, first of all, to get you in the mood. 
on this keyboard. and rang me up on 0247659 to give you this Christmas message. Incidentally, if you want to exchange Christmas greetings with me, just ring me up on that number. If I'm not in, I'll ring you back. Here's Doreen Hilton. Um, hello everybody, here's Doreen here speaking to you again. Um, it's the time of the year where we think of everybody now. Um, I wish the staff, all our listeners, a very, very happy Christmas, especially the Resource Centre and the staff. Um, they work very hard, very loving, very caring. And let's hope we all have a lovely Christmas. Keep well, like they say. Keep away from the Fergie. And have a lovely time with your friends, neighbours and family, most of all. Okay, everybody. God bless you all. Take care. Lovely Christmas. Doreen Hilton. Thank you so much, Doreen. And for all your phone calls throughout the year, they meant a lot to me. And now here's Julia with a report entitled... So this is Christmas, and what have we done? Another year older, and a new one has begun. There was me, Mary, and Wendy the Warden in Wendy's little car. Off we all went to Christ the King's Club for the annual Christmas party. We were like three kings arriving from the east, but we weren't bearing gifts, and anyway, we were more like three queens than three kings, and we weren't following a star either. We already knew the way because we'd been there before, but we did have a delicious buffet and good old Christmas carol knitted us some bags of sweets. It was the bag she knitted, not the sweets. That would be silly. We all had sandwiches, sausage rolls, and then Anne made us some homemade mince pies. I had orange juice without too much gin in it, but then the band struck up and we all had a knees up. The band would call it Eucaholics because they all played ukuleles. They sang everything from Beatles to Christmas songs. The man told jokes, but they were so bad that Wendy the Warden told him to get off. Everyone had Christmas dresses on. Everyone except me, that is. I wore my knitted bikini and yellow wellies. There were 60 people there, but my friend John wasn't invited, so we all had a good time. Lots of Christmas wishes, Julia. Thank you, Julia. Aren't the Eucaholics fantastic? They used to come to the Monday Club. Still on a Christmas theme, Graham Whale talks about a song by Spike Milligan. I'm walking backwards through Christmas. Here he is, Graham. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Graham Whale, and I'm 
I don't know whether anybody remembers the words the, well, the song written by uh, the Spike Milligan, I'm walking backwards to Christmas across the Irish Sea. Well, I wouldn't recommend walking backwards over the Irish Sea, but walking backwards apparently is good for us. That is official. It's good for our balance. And I'll try this in the safety of Whale Hall. If I stand in my hallway, it's just wide enough to put my hands both sides on the walls opposite each other to guide me back. And I can confirm I've not done it too often and I've not been doing it too long, but I can confirm that it does help my balance. It also um, concentrates your mind. I mean, you don't think when you walk forwards, but believe me, when you try and walk back, you have to think what you're doing. My goal is to improve my balance sufficiently so as to stay upright on the way home from the pub. <laughs> well, Graham, I used to belong to the Charles Moore 18 Plus Club. Some of the older members, I was told, migrated to the Coffee Pot Club. I used to alternate between the police ballroom and the Locarno on a Saturday night where I met Sheila. I didn't know you went to the police ballroom, which must have been the safest place in town, with a police lady giving you a ticket inside the door. Well, Wendy writes, My husband's a radio ham, and wonders if anyone else indulges in the hobby. If so, perhaps they could exchange call signs and have a chat on the air. Well, Wendy, Graham Whale is a keen radio ham, and he's asked me to put your husband in touch with him, which I have done. And now here's Simon, who was introduced to the Monday Club by Robert Franklin, who we're very grateful to, followed by Coventry's Lady Godiva, Prue Peretta, followed by Godiva Inclusion Sister, Pat Mulqueen-Wood, who is visually impaired, followed by a song from the Godiva Sisters' Choir. Hello, I'm Simon Coates from Rugby, this famous rugby busker. I'm here to tell you that I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year! Happy Christmas, everyone! We're wishing everyone peace and love at this very special time of year. And if you're on your own, you're not. We're all with you in spirit and love. Happy Christmas! From Lady Godiva, Prue Peretta. Hello, this is Pat Mulqueen Wood. I'm out with David Monks at the moment and he's been Santa and I've been sat on his lap because I'm a reindeer. So on that message, I will just wish you all a very happy Christmas and a great new year. Goodbye. Love you all. is former editor of Outlook, Jill Smith, with a Christmas greeting for you, followed by the Monday Club and the Santa Babes, who Graham and I listened to and met at the Good Food Show at the NEC. I'm going to wish all listeners a happy Christmas and a very, very good 2024. 
Uh, sorry not to be involved anymore, but I do wish you all well. Everybody at the Commentary Talking newspaper, we are here at the BBC Good Food Festival today, spreading lots of festive fun. Hugh and I kept in touch with a young man, whom you've heard briefly on Outlook, whom I used to help at Exall Grange School. Here he is speaking to you from Stratford Christmas Market. Merry Christmas from Christopher. A hundred and two-year-old Hilda Hill of the Monday Club wishes you a happy Christmas. On a sad note, Tina has fond memories of Rosie. Well, it's nice to hear about Rosie's death. I was here in 2014 when I came. Annette had the music group, which is the Fishity Sound. I joined them. Rosie was there. We used to have the luncheon club. We used to have... Uh, who did we have? Sylvia and, and Judy. That's it. Rosie was there again. And it was nice to... It was nice to see her. She always used to come and talk to me. Well, we always used to have a bit of a chat. And it was really nice. And on a serious note, Majid Hussein mentioned the low quality of Outlook on the internet. Engineer Nick Rose has sent this message to you, Majid. Our audio online is compressed to a low quality, simply to keep file sizes small, which keeps costs low, whilst also preserving online copies of archived editions online. I will look, however, to increase the quality of the latest editions. Then after a short amount of time, I will move them to a lower quality audio to provide us with required online storage space. And I hope your bins aren't overflowing over Christmas. Here's Graham with his views on the bin strike. Well, I don't understand this uh, dispute between the Council Refuge people. Um, I mean, when I went to work, equal pay meant equal pay for equal work. Or to put it another way, equal work for equal pay. Now, what we've got here is a situation where you've got a group of people in the offices who are doing uh, administration, who are predominantly female, and another group of people out on the streets emptying bins, which are predominantly male. They may well all be working for the same refuge department, but surely they're not actually doing the same job. I think the council have got a lot to answer for this, uh, the way they've handled this. As far as the refuge collectors are working until the correct finishing time, well, yes, I'm all for that. Maybe they might come back and take my rubbish away on the occasions they've missed me out. So, tell us your thoughts on the bin strike. But let's send postbag on a festive note. When I was playing Santa at the Godiva Sisters Christmas event, I recited a poem. And it was written by my great-granddad for my granddad, George Fox, when he was ten years old, carol singing door-to-door. George grew up to be Professor Delisle Conjurer. Here is that message now for you. 
I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, friends without number and lots of good cheer, and may you be happy throughout the new year. God bless the master of this house, and the mistress also, likewise the little children. May they no sorrow know, and for every one within this house, may every blessing flow, and boys and girls meet cheerily beneath the mistletoe. I wish you may have gladness around your Christmas fire. I wish you may have happiness and all that you desire. I wish you may have plenty of everything in store. But don't forget the little boy now standing at your door. Merry Christmas! I'd like to wish you a very happy Christmas and hopefully a healthy and peaceful new year. Bye for now. This is Outlook. You can contact Postbag. Our website is www.talkingnewspaper.org.uk. Our email address is postbag at talkingnewspaper.org.uk. Join in the discussion on Postbag. Probably one of the most familiar of the world's iconic buildings is the Sydney Opera House, which is celebrating its 50th birthday. Marion McCullum has been studying the origin and creation of the building and its stunning architecture. This is taken from the commentary paragraph and read by Elaine. American singing star and civil rights activist Paul Robeson climbed the scaffolding of the Sydney Opera House while it was still being built in 1960 serenading the construction workers with a powerful rendition of Old Man River. Since then, the iconic building has seen the film star Arnold Schwarzenegger, with his last Mr. Olympic bodybuilding title, welcome Pope John Paul II, and witnessed Nelson Mandela freed from prison after 27 years as he addressed a 40,000-strong crowd on the steps. There have also been memorable performances by Prince, Sammy Davis Jr., Sting, Bob Dylan and Ella Fitzgerald. Famous faces have been photographed in front of it, including Grease star Olivia Newton-John, Australian comedy star Barry Humphreys, dressed as his famous character Dame Edna Everidge, and even donned a specially made opera house hat to attend Ascot in 1976. But not every photo opportunity had gone as planned. Australian actor and X-Men star Hugh Jackman made an aerial entrance by ziplining from the roof of the building while appearing on the Opry Winfrey show in 2010. Unfortunately, the action hero hurt his right eye as he crashed into the stage in front of 6,000 fans. Thankfully, Queen Elizabeth's official opening of Sydney Opera House in October 1973 went without a hitch. She said, The human spirit must sometimes take wings or sails and create something that is not just utilitarian or commonplace. The opening was accompanied by fireworks and Beethoven's Symphony No. 9. The first opera performed at the venue was Prokofiev's War and Peace. 
Jorn Erksen's design for the Opera House won an international competition in 1957. Its spectacular roof echoes the sails of ships in Sydney Harbour. But the Danish architects said the design owed more to shapes found in nature, such as birds and walnuts. New South Wales Premier Joseph Cahill said of it, In a young country like ours, we ought to be courageous. But trouble over delays and runway costs saw Yawn resign in 1966. His departure led to letters of protest from leading figures around the world and 3,000 people signed a petition calling for his return. But he never went back to Australia. Australian architect Peter Hall was brought in to complete the building work and said, I'm overwhelmed, but I think I can finish the Opera House. It finally opened 10 years late and 14 times over budget and Jorn was neither invited to or mentioned at the royal opening. The original budget for the work was estimated at 3.5 million but by 1962 the estimated cost had hit 13.7 million. Many thought the dream would never become a reality. But today the building is Australia's busiest performing arts centre and a World Heritage listed site, placing it alongside the likes of the Pyramids of Egypt and the Great Wall of China. UNESCO has described it as a great architectural work of the 20th century that brings together multiple strands of creativity and innovations in both architectural form and structural design. Australian performer Tim Minchin, who wrote the music and lyrics for best-selling show Matilda the Musical, has just brought out a film, Play It Safe, celebrating 50 years of performance at the venue. He said, I adore the Opera House. Playing in and around this beautiful building has been one of the great honours of my creative life. The sails of the Sydney Opera House were lit up with the image of Queen Elizabeth when the world mourned her death last year. Now, 50 years after the monarch first opened the building, it continues to fulfil its cultural dream. Scottish comedian Sir Billy Connolly, who visited Sydney in 1996 as part of his BBC World Tour of Australia series, perhaps put it best when he said, Playing the Sydney Opera House is a bit like playing the Taj Mahal. It's a real-life legend. Isn't it the best-looking place you've ever seen? I love it. I always want to touch it and applaud it. So, happy birthday, Sydney Opera House. Do you have a favourite building? I don't know that I have a favourite building. I'm not fond of high-rise flats, of which we have a lot, but there's an, a lot of buildings that can be classed as beautiful. Think about a building. Does one have a special memory for you? Now it's about time for Outlook to start getting to the Christmas spirit, so here's Margaret with Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem, Christmas Bells. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, 
and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along that broken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned, the peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. From the seasonal bells to the twelve days of Christmas, written by John Julius Norwich and read by Sue. In that lovely little pear tree, what an enchanting, romantic, poetic present. Bless you and thank you, your deeply loving Emily. 26th of December My dearest darling Edward, the two turtle doves arrived this morning and are cooing away in the pear tree as I write. I'm so touched and grateful. With undying love, as always, Emily. 27th of December My darling Edward, you do think of the most original presents. Who ever thought of sending anybody three French hens? Do they really come all the way from France? It's a pity that we have no chicken coops, but I expect we'll find some. Thank you anyway. They're lovely. Your loving Emily. 28th of December Dearest Edward, what a surprise! Four calling birds arrived this morning. They are very sweet, even if they do call rather loudly. They make telephoning impossible. But I expect they'll calm down when they get used to their new home. Anyway, I'm very grateful. Of course I am. Love from Emily. 29th of December Dearest Edward, the postman has just delivered five most beautiful gold rings, one for each finger and all fitting perfectly. A really lovely present, lovelier in a way than birds, which do take rather a lot of looking after. The four that arrived yesterday are still making a terrible row, and I'm afraid none of us got much sleep last night. Mummy says she wants to use the rings to wring their necks. She's only joking, I think, although I know what she means. But I love the rings. Bless you. Love, Emily. 30th of December Dear Edward, Whatever I expected to find when I opened the front door this morning, it certainly wasn't six socking great geese laying eggs all over the doorstep. Frankly, I rather hoped you'd stopped sending me birds. We have no room for them, and they have already ruined the croquet lawn. 
I know you meant well, but let's call a halt, shall we? Love, Emily. 31st of December Edward, I thought I said no more birds, but this morning I woke up to find no less than seven swans, all trying to get into our tiny goldfish pond. I'd rather not think what happened to the goldfish. The whole house seems to be full of birds, to say nothing of what they leave behind them. Please, please, stop. Your Emily. 1st of January. Frankly, I think I prefer the birds. What am I to do with eight milkmaids and their cows? Is this some kind of joke? If so, I'm afraid I don't find it very amusing. Emily. 2nd of January. Look here, Edward, this has gone far enough. You say you're sending me nine ladies dancing. All I can say is that, judging from the way they dance, they're certainly not ladies. The village just isn't accustomed to seeing a regiment of shameless hussies with nothing on but their lipstick cavorting around the green, and it's Mummy and I who get blamed. If you value our friendship, which I do less and less, kindly stop this ridiculous behaviour at once. Emily 3rd of January As I write this letter, ten disgusting old men are prancing about all over what used to be the garden before the geese and the swans and the cows got at it, and several of them, I notice, are taking inexcusable liberties with the milkmaids. Meanwhile, the neighbours are trying to have us evicted. I shall never speak to you again, Emily. 4th of January this is the last straw. You know I detest bagpipes. The place has now become something between a menagerie and a madhouse, and a man from the council has just declared it unfit for habitation. At least Mummy has been spared this last outrage. They took her away yesterday afternoon in an ambulance. I hope you're satisfied. 5th of January Sir, our client, Miss Emily Wilbraham, instructs me to inform you that with the arrival on her premises at half-past seven this morning of the entire percussion section of the Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra and several of their friends, she has no course left open to her but to seek an injunction to prevent your importuning her further. I am making arrangements for the return of much assorted livestock. I am, sir, yours faithfully, G. Creep, Solicitor at Law. Over the twelve days of Christmas, I'm sure that most of us uh, may have a slight guilty pang of a little overindulgence, but maybe you can forgive yourself as it's only once a year, of course. But be warned. At other times, when we have a bit of comfort food, it should possibly be accompanied by a health warning, because the more comforting it is, the more carbohydrates it contains. Elaine explains in this article by Grace Dent, taken from the Coventry Telegraph. Award-winning food writer and restaurant critic Grace Dent admits that when she gets home after a day of sampling delicacies in the MasterChef studios, she bungs in McCain oven chips and coats them in salt and sarsen's malt vinegar. The bag of chips is returned to her freezer 
where it sits alongside bird's eye potato waffles, magnums and a warburton toasty white loaf in what she and her other half call the drawer of deliciousness. Her latest book, Comfort Eating, is an exploration of what we eat when nobody's looking, whether it's gooey cheese, slabs of melted butter on everything, or donuts. She confesses that after a day filming, her appetite whetted by the tiny mouthfuls of very rich food she consumes while judging, she feels a mixture of nausea and hunger. When I come in, I take off my false eyelashes and my pieces of false clipping hair. I put my oven chips in and it's magical. Grace, who is 50, grew up in a working class family in Carlisle and devours the food influences of the 80s and 90s in her new book, recalling everything from her school dinner comfort eat, chocolate concrete, which was a rough and ready take on a chocolate brownie, to the instant gravy she poured on chips over the years, and of which she remains a huge fan. But what are her favourite comfort foods? Comfort food admissions come with a bit of embarrassment, she says, because what you want to tell people is that you've got four pans on the go making an amazing lasagna. But in reality, the things I live on are porridge with different things chucked into it. She's a sucker for the cooked porridges that cost 75p from any old newsagent, and she loads them up with peanut butter, jam, any kind of seed or fruit that's sitting about. She eats lots of hot buttered toast, and cheese spread is one of her favourite go-to things. Grace devotes whole chapters to potatoes, cheese, butter, pasta, and other comfort foods, but the book is also a homage to her late mother, also called Grace, who she describes as queen of the comfort eater and who she moved in with at the end of 2020 to care for. She'd lie in bed with her mother and they would eat the same food. There was white toast, lashings of butter and cheap marmalade. Despite all her efforts taking her mum to posh restaurants over the years, her favourite eatery remained McDonald's. Two cheeseburgers, fries and a Coca-Cola being her meal of choice. After her mother died, Grace took comfort in comfort food, recalling the heavy flapjacks, full of carbs which hit the spot, but settled like an extra layer of padding on her behind. Yet the book is ultimately an uplifting nostalgic book at the memories sparked by comfort food, and a bid to understand why certain foods make us happy. It also charts the creation of a comfort eating podcast, which inspired the book, in which she invites celebrities to her home to talk about the comfort foods that have seen them through. They also bring a snack they eat when nobody's looking. <laughs> Comedian Joe Brands was a fried bread sandwich. Scarlett Moffat reminisced about beans on toast with crushed what's it on top. An actor and stand-up comedian, Ailing B, 
plumped for potato waffles with tin spaghetti. Of her own childhood in Carlisle, she recalls a pressure cooker that was always on the go, which her mum loaded with corned beef hash or hot pot. Years later, I realised that how she was making those lamb hot pots so nice was putting a layer of black pudding in them, which I would never eat now. My mother was also great with batches of fairy cakes, which I thought she was making for us, but now I realise it was because they were so cheap to make, and it stopped us having to buy from the shop. When we went on a day trip, we would take about 85 misshapen fairy cakes in a big tin. But my happiest times were with my dad walking to the chip shop and having fish and chips. In Cumbria, there's a thing called a patty, which is basically battered mashed potato, sometimes with minced beef or cheese in it. A battered cheese and onion patty with chips and a side of scraps, the spare batter out of the pan, as a child, felt like you'd won the jackpot because you'd been given all the batter without having to eat any of the fish. She went to the University of Stirling in the 90s, a period she describes as her cheese years. That's when you realise nothing delivers love and security more than melted cheese. In the 90s, having no money, because she'd spent it all on the rolling rock beer and shots of Dubonnet, she went to Iceland to reduce the counter and picked up enormous blocks of cheese. She'd make buttered crumpets topped with a mound of grated cheese and eat them with jam or mango chutney. Today she's expanded her repertoire when it comes to cheese. Until I was, she was 24, she only ate cheddar, sometimes red Leicester, but no foreign cheeses. The idea of brie, which is a bit wobbly, seemed very frightening to us. Her ideal dinner would be a whole bread basket and a side of dauphinois potatoes. So there you have it, folks. Her ideal dinner. Comfort food. What's your comfort food? Would you have jam with cheese on crumpets? Everybody has their own peculiarity when it comes to favourite food. And I hope you aren't inspired to dash off and get some comfort food. Everything in moderation. Over the 12 days of Christmas, I'm sure that most of us uh, may have a slight guilty pang of a little overindulgence. But maybe you can forgive yourself as it's only once a year, of course. But be warned, at other times when we have a bit of comfort food, it should possibly be accompanied by a health warning. Because the more comforting it is, the more carbohydrates it contains. Elaine explains in this article by Grace Dent, taken from the Coventry Telegraph. The bells of waiting advent ring, the tortoise stove is lit again, and a lamp oil light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain in many a stained glass window sheen, from crimson lake to hooker's green. The holly in the windy hedge and round the manor house the yew will soon be stripped to deck the ledge, the altar font and arch and pew, so that the villagers can say, the church looks nice on Christmas Day. 
Provincial public houses blaze and corporation tramcars clang on lighted tenements I glaze where vapour decorations hang and bunting in the red town hall says Merry Christmas to you all. And London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers as hurrying clerks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers. And marble clouds go scudding by the many-steepled London sky. And girls in slacks remember Dad, and oafish louts remember Mum, and sleepless children's hearts are glad, and Christmas morning bells say, Come, even to shining ones who dwell safe in the Dorchester Hotel. And is it true, and is it true, this most tremendous tale of all, seen in the stained glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall, the maker of the stars and sea become a child on earth for me? And is it true, for if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and inexpensive scent and hideous tie so kindly meant? No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this single truth compare, that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine. And staying with the Christmas theme, Elaine reads an article from This England on one of our favourite Christmas trees, the holly tree with its bright red berries. Holly is unlikely to ever be confused with any of our other native tree species. It is so familiar from Christmas greetings cards where it is possibly the most widespread illustration used. Distributed throughout our woodlands, hedgerows, heaths and gardens, it is a popular native of the UK, growing both as a bush and a tree. The name holly is taken from the Old English Holland. Trees can grow up to 15 metres, or 49 feet, in height. They can reach a good age, with mature examples known to live up to 300 years. In Shropshire, on Lord's Hill, near Snail Beach Village, the Holly's Nature Reserve has a grove, or home, of wonderful ancient trees that have been twisted by the wind into a variety of shapes. Some are so old they seem dead, but look closely and you will see new growth. Estimates of the age varies between 250 years and 400 years, and they are amongst the most ancient hollies in Europe. The evergreen tree bears dark green shiny leaves, both spiky and smooth, whilst the grey-brown bark of the holly is tinged with green and sprinkled with small swellings. Male and female flowers are white with four petals and grow on separate trees in the spring. When pollinated green berries on female trees develop, these won't turn bright scarlet until the following year. Birds favour the tree for its berries, particularly the mizzle thrush, who will defend a favoured tree from overwintering fieldfares and redwings. 
In the autumn, hedgehogs, wood mice and dormouse seek out shelter of the holly to hibernate as it provides a safe haven due to its prickly exterior. The holly was used as winter foodstuff for cattle and sheep and in the 19th century animals kept by lead miners living near Snail Beach relied upon the holly trees and bushes for their animals' fodder. Other animals who would eat holly include the deer. A variety of insects, bees and hoverflies take advantage of the flowers in spring whilst the holly blue butterfly and the holly tortrix moth striped in shades of brown, use it to lay their eggs and the caterpillars providing food for other animals. Holly is a heavy wood with a fine grain and the timber is white, making it very suitable for staining and polishing. At one time it was used to make bobbins for the Lancashire cotton industry and knobs stained black for teapots. Today it is turned into furniture as veneers, piano keys and walking sticks. It symbolised peace and goodwill as well as fertility and eternal life. It was believed to have magical powers and to assure the return of spring. As the tree was able to withstand lightning, it was often planted near homes to protect those within. The tree was also considered to be a charm against witches or the devil, and it was considered a bad luck to chop down a holly tree. That said, if a tree is down, it burns with such fierce heat that it makes for good firewood. A tradition which still exists to this day is bringing in holly to decorate the home during Christmas. But holly berries are toxic and caution is required. The leaves, however, contain caffeine. They can be dried and powdered, and were once used to treat sickness such as fever, rheumatism, and circulation problems. So on Twelfth Night, make sure to keep a sprig of holly for twelve months, only discarding it when it is replaced. That way, it will bring you and yours Good luck for the rest of the year. And listeners, we all need a bit of good luck. But I wouldn't advocate keeping a sprig of holly for 12 months because when they dry, they are so sharp. Dangerous to the point of sharpness. Now, before we visit Santa's Grotto, Margaret reads... Advent Concert from Landaff Cathedral by Gillian Clark. First Frost, November. World is steel, a ghost of goose down feathering the air. In the square, cars idle to their stalls, as cattle remembering their place in the affair. Headlamps bloom and die. A hullabaloo dances on ice to the golden door. Inside, a choir of children sing, startled at a rising hum over their shoulders like a wind off the sea. Boulders rolled in the swell as sweet and low triolchi male voice choirs basso profundo whelms them 
in its flow and undertow, and hearts hurt with the mystery, the strange repeated story of carol, candlelight and choir, of something wild out there, white bees of the Mabinogi at the window, night swirling with a swarm of early snow. I just mentioned Santa's Grotto and we're going to join Dane, Dave as he visits the one at St Thomas's Church in Kersley that reflects the meaning of Christmas. Hello, I'm, I'm at St Thomas's Church, Kersley and I'm going in Santa's Grotto. And hello, who am I speaking to please? Uh, Jan Wilkins. Jan Wilkins, can you describe all this wonderful grotto please? Well, we've got a polar bear, big blow-up polar bear, and a big Christmas tree and an arch with a Santa and his reindeer. And this is just the way in. We haven't even got in to see Santa yet. No? Okay. So Thank you. Santa, are you there? Are you there, Santa? No, he's not here at the moment. Here's Santa. Oh, well, here's Santa himself. Great. Standing by a lovely, sparkly Christmas tree. And a lovely, roaring fire there. So, uh, so what have the children been asking for, Santa? Well, mainly toys, small toys, but yeah. a few of the older lads are asking for phones now, so that's a sign of the times. It is a sign of the times, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted a dinosaur egg. Really? Yeah, yeah a, a dinosaur egg, yes. Well. A big one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the girls want, want Barbie dolls, don't they? Yeah, so they're Barbie still popular. Dolls. They're still popular. I'm Barbie sure dolls. they are because because the film was mega popular, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. yeah, of course. Yes, it's the latest film of the Barbie. Do you think you can describe the grotto, Santa, from where you are? Because it is well, a lovely well, fire there. Next to my big red chair. Yeah. They've got the lovely roaring fire. Yeah, good. With the animals around me and yeah. all the Father Christmas lights all the way around, and then we got the big Christmas tree. With all the beautiful lights and the baubles. And right. the presents for the children. Wow! So, what kind of presents are you uh, giving right. the children? Well, yes. there's lots of, lots of toys. We've got um, dressing up outfits, yeah. books, um, oh, trying to think, cars. Yeah, dinosaur, dinosaur egg. Yes, that's yeah, the dinosaur egg. Yes, so we managed to get, give the child who wanted a dinosaur egg a dinosaur egg. Anyway, there's a lantern as well by the uh, the old yes, clock. Yes, and the lantern. And then through through the doorway there, oh, you've got this stable in there. Lovely. There's a lovely atmosphere here. I've been in your uh, <laughs> church grotto before, yeah, and it yeah. was absolutely magical. We had the reindeers last time but this time we haven't got the reindeers no. so we've cut back a little bit this year no they're, they're parked outside we're getting, we're getting right? a bit old to set it all up now so yeah. <laughs> well isn't it wonderful and here's the nativity scene it's beautiful yeah you think you can describe this please there's a lovely white angel yes that's that's the angel that's lighting it all up yes and we've got baby jesus there and the kings 
and the shepherds and the animals and of course the star to show them where to go. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? And the, the star. Yeah. It's sort of, it's kind of flashing, yeah. larger and smaller That's as well. That's right, yeah. It's, it's, you know, like, um, yeah, yeah. You know, lights all around it and it's like lighting yeah. up and getting yeah. smaller. And you've got a proper little stable that's here the, with yes, wooden the, sides. Yeah. And in, in the corner, there's a lovely angel in white with lights all over the angel. Yeah. Lovely. Three candles. And the candles, because they didn't have electric then, did they? No, so they didn't, only yeah. had candles. Oh, yeah, we have got a dog coming to see Santa. Yeah, no, he had, well, he's got nine. Have you had lots and lots of children come to see you, Santa? <laughs> have you had lots and lots of children come to see We've you? Had Loads and loads of children, and they've all been very good as well. Yeah. How, how have the grown-ups been good? The grown-ups have been very good. <laughs> <laughs> they, they tell me they've been good all year, but whether they have or not, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Can't always believe them, yeah. Okay. Wonderful, isn't it? Lovely. And we're going into another, a kind of side room now. Yeah, we have got boxes of presents from Santa there, and we've got Santa Claus and his reindeer with a lovely, a lovely white reindeer all illuminated with lights. Beautiful. And we, we're on the way out now. On the way out, And I haven't got anything from Santa. Yeah. Sorry? I haven't got any oh, presents from Santa, Santa yet. No, you have to pay £5. Five I, I asked Santa for something from Frozen, and, and he said there's a magnum in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Bob. Are you the vicar? Mm. Okay, okay yeah, right. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for Jan for showing me around, yeah. and now I'm speaking to the, the vicar of St. Thomas's Church. What, what do you think of all this in this event today, with all the, with all the stalls and... Mm. Santa's Grotto and everything? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's great to have all the community come and join us and to yeah. celebrate Christmas together. And the grotto that you've just seen is wonderful. We're very thankful to Jan and Chris for putting all that together. And the children love it. And we've got stalls and games and food and crafts going on. So it's a wonderful time just to gather together for Christmas. It, it is. Thanks a lot. And what's your name, by the way? My name's Reverend Charlotte, and yeah. I'm the vicar at St. Thomas's. Yeah. It's wonderful uh, to welcome you today. Yeah. Do you have a, a Christmas greeting to the listeners? of Coventry Talking Newspaper. Oh, well, Merry Christmas to everyone, and I hope that you enjoy this season and, uh, yeah, the light of Christ shines in your heart. Well, that's all from the wonderful Christmas Grotto at St. Thomas's Church, Kersley. Merry Christmas and bye for now. As we leave the church pondering the real meaning of this joyful time, that brings us to the end of this special Christmas edition of Outlook. We're now going to take a two-week break, so from all the contributors for Outlook, including our behind-the-scenes engineers, Christine and John, together with everyone here at the Resource Centre, we send you our warmest wishes for a very happy Christmas and a peaceful and healthy 2024. We will record our next programme on Wednesday the 3rd of January. In the meantime, Merry Christmas.